Welcome to this episode of the Southland Health and Wellness Hour podcast. My name is Rhonda Jackson. I'm your podcast host and a coordinating producer for the Center for Community Media. The Southland Health and Wellness Hour is not the traditional health and wellness podcast, nor is it intended to provide medical advice. This is a community-focused and engaged podcast for residents of South Chicago and the Chicago Southland. Individual and community stories and situations serve as a foundation for discussions with community members, leaders, organizations, and experts about a variety of health and wellness topics. Our guest statements are their own and do not reflect the policies or opinions of Governor State University. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we're continuing our discussion about the things that define our humanity and connect us as a community. Because as we discussed with Angela from GSU's Counseling and Wellness Center, holistic wellness is recognizing the whole person and not just the physical person. So the Southland Health and Wellness Hour podcast is committed to discussing the mental and emotional, social, intellectual, and spiritual. In this installment of our series on being human, we'll explore the power of storytelling. We usually think of it as an art form, and we've seen it used as a tool to teach and motivate and connect people. And research in neuroscience has shown that in some cases, the brain activity of a person listening to a story will come to mirror the brainwave patterns of the storyteller as the story progresses. That kind of synchronicity is something that helps many herd animals abate predators, but that might be the topic for another podcast. Our guest today attended a theater preview in the Center for Performing Arts about a play slash story that we'll be exploring more in the fall. They each share a passion for the transformative art of storytelling. We will discuss the power of storytelling with Dr. Stephanie Davenport, president of ASHE, which is the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Black Storytellers, and Gigi Wagner, professor of business at Governor State University, writer, storyteller, and friend of the Center for Performing Arts. Thank you for joining us, Stephanie and Gigi. Listeners, before we start, we want to invite you to contact us, comment about the podcast, and share how storytelling has played a pivotal role to you at an important time in your life. Or you can just ask about any other wellness topics that interest you. Visit our podcast website where you'll find a link to drop us a line, as well as useful takeaways and accessible community resources. The website address is in the podcast description. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie and Gigi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Stephanie, let's yes. start with you. Okay. Um, you are from, the, you are the president of the organization ASHE. Yes. Can you give us the fundamentals about that, please? ASHE is a Chicago affiliate for the National Association of Black Storytellers, which is also called NABS. And what our mission is to always to push out our old traditions of storytelling that's so African rooted, but also to encourage that history, the accuracy of history and empowerment of, of everyone listening and well, as well as engage with our young people. And uh, we do have Ashe youth and we're starting one too for Ashe uh, people, young people who are in college so that they too can learn how to tell a story and then to learn how to research that story and tell it even better. And of course, we do have partners uh, that help us tremendously. And when did you become involved with Ashe? I became involved. I knew about Ashe and I thought that I, I could tell stories, especially since I had convinced my grandmother to tell my grand my mother when she came home that the dog had actually broken the the, the window in the door and that I hadn't or none of <laughs> our, my siblings had. So I thought, hey, I got a good beginning as a storyteller. Um, 
but it was the fact that there was a the president at the time and I were going to the same church, Trinity United Church of Christ. And she said, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, I, I don't, I don't know. I'll go home. Okay. So I'm gonna pick you up and you're going to go to the Ashade meeting. Oh, okay. So that's how it began. Little did I know I was being groomed. <laughs> um, I, I, I joined and I liked it and I, I like telling the stories. I like hearing the stories. And then of course, to go to that first NABS conference, which I think what I wasn't in Kansas, it was in, um, in my, no, it wasn't in Montgomery, Alabama, but I do remember that. And just going and all the stories and, and people coming from Utah to Rhode Island, truly, we have an affiliate in Utah and an affiliate in Rhode Island and all in between to hear those stories. And they had a section where they would make things up. They call it the tall tales, not the liar's corner. I was like, this <laughs> is awesome. And so I just continued and that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's beautiful. So way back when, in the interest of self-preservation, that's when your storytelling began. I guess you would, you'd say self-preservation. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like uh, an African, just following an African proverb that says that when lions do not tell their stories, the hunters become the heroes. And that really has been uh, what my purpose is in storytelling, keeping history, keeping dialogue, uh, going uh, restorative justice, all of those things, that's the reason why I do what I do. Great. And the word ashe, can you uh, give us the definition of the word ashe? Ashe just basically means I am in agreement with you on that point or that issue. Okay, Gigi, let's bring you into the dialogue. Um, you have some similar storytelling experience. You participated in Homewood Stories. Can you tell us about Homewood Stories? I sure can. Um, I think it was 2018 when I first told my first story at Homewood Stories. Um, Homewood Stories to me is just a beautiful little community. Um, storytelling, it, it, it's put on by one woman, so I don't know, it's not like an association or anything. Uh, Dr. Karen McDonald is a dentist here in Homewood, and she always makes the joke that she has a captive audience. She gets to tell people stories while she's got their hand, her hands in their mouth, uh, <laughs> and they can't really say anything if they don't like it. <laughs> um, so her, the stories that people tell there are pretty much uh, personal stories, and um, they're... Um, kind of she likes to kind of keep things off book where they're kind of memorized and extemporaneous and um i was so excited when i heard about homewood stories because i've always loved storytelling and um i was at a point in my life where i really wanted to investigate it a little bit further and so i went to an event with a friend of mine and afterwards i remember going up to karen saying you know i've always fancied myself a storyteller and she's like well let's get you signed up and i had the perfect story to tell um it was a story about a scarf that my sister bought me and i never wear scarves but i absolutely loved this scarf it made me feel like royalty and i lost it um, and was convinced that someone had stolen it. And I found it a few days later, it had been buried underneath snow and I found it on my walk back and forth to Starbucks. So, um, but it was just, it was a great Homewood story. I felt like, so, so um, that was my first experience telling a story in public. Um, I went through a workshop with uh, Karen and, um, practiced that story a lot before I, I told it publicly. So it was definitely different than the kind of storytelling I was used to. Um, because I think, you know, I was, I was born into a family of storytellers. My dad was a big storyteller and he would tell these stories with this big booming voice and keep everybody's attention while he was telling it. Um, my grandmother was a storyteller and in some of her, you know, she, she had this huge bed that I somehow inherited after her death. My mom got it and then I got it from my mom and we would sit around on that bed and just, she would tell stories about growing up in Kentucky and back in the wild days. You know? um, 
And, and my mother, too, was her, uh, a storyteller in her own way. She wrote poetry that reflected on her life experiences and kind of made meaning of that. So um, I think storytelling is kind of a birthright in a lot of ways. I was, I was kind of born into it rather than being drawn to it. It was, it was always with me. Have you thought about the ways that being born into a storytelling family have impacted you personally, your personal wellness? Yeah, absolutely. Like my childhood was not without trauma, as I think, I don't know, a lot of people probably can relate. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I love about storytelling is that you can, you can share about trauma in a way that doesn't have to bring people down. But in my family, we would talk about trauma in a, in a story, and then we could all laugh about it. Um, we would tell stories about, you know, dumb things we did, the trauma we suffered, crazy family members, you know, and there was, there's always, you know, moments of heartache. You know, I remember just so many times sitting around with family members and, in at one moment feeling so heavy, like, wow, you know, how did we get here? And then the next moment we would be laughing so hard, we're crying. And that's the way it always ended. So it was always upbeat. So I think mm -hmm. just through the sharing of those, um, or being able to talk about those shared experiences and um, come out with a lighter heart from those stories allowed me to move on from that. And I, I kind of carried that with me. And, and I started, I don't know, kind of, of telling stories to myself, um, which definitely affected my mental wellness, you know. It's a vehicle for um, basically combating the, the isolation that sometimes trauma makes us feel. If I could tag on to what Giggy was saying in the sense of, you know, how, how it helps your mental health um, and also being a person of color, the stories that I was told helped empower me to, to face challenges. The one story I've told before, um, and I just finished telling it to someone today, was that I was going to, I was so excited to go to Girl Scout camp as a Girl Scout, and we were out in Wisconsin, and the first time you stay overnight for two weeks, and um, so I, I was put in, uh, we were put in different clusters, and I was the, in a cluster where I was the only person who looked like me. No problem. So, um, Everything went well, and we did this, and we did that, except for there was always something going on in my tent. I could find leaves or something in my bed. I didn't understand all of that. And so I wrote my mom a letter, and I know back in the letter writing days, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, and I said, please, you've got to come and get me. Uh, this, I don't, this thing's happening, and, and, and I'm not with my friends who are in other Girl Scout troops. And she said, oh, no, you're going to stay and be an ambassador to your race. And for your race, like Ralph Bunch, and I'm thinking in my head, where is he and who is he? <laughs> and I'm like, well, he not here. So, okay. So now it means that I've got to face, I've got to be empowered with this, this, this role model who obviously was strong enough to face whatever things. So I decided I would just stay. So one day I was, um, I think I had a sniffles. You can't go swimming. And the other young lady who didn't look like me, she, I don't know what she was, why she had a cold or whatever was happening. And um, being, having black hair and going swimming means oh, yes. that it's not going to stay straight. So I had two little buns, which they're now very popular, but I had them on, mm -hmm. on my head. And I felt this hand touching my head. And I'm thinking, Yes. So I said, yes. She, I said, what, what are you doing? And she said, well, my grandmother told me if I touch a, a, a Negro's hair, that it would, it, would, it would cause my hand to bleed. And I just looked at her. I had respect. I was taught respect for elders. And I just looked at her and said, is your hand bleeding? And she said, no. Well, we became fast friends because <laughs> there was girl power now <laughs> where you can say, you know, people tell us things and we don't have to believe that because I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we like yes. each other and we're doing things. And so that empowerment, by the way, Ralph Bunch uh, was an ambassador for United States to the UN. Mm -hmm. And he worked on uh, the uh, acquisition of land for Israel. 
Uh, so my story always ends when I tell that, that Ralph Bunch, I need to have that little badge that you would get, you know, earned as a Girl Scout. I need my ambassador badge. But Ashe also does the same thing. There are stories in, um, where you, you get to know the truth about something. And we, we, we learn the truth about, for example, behind the term Uncle Tom. This was a revered title for a man a black man or Negro man to be given um, because they were always looking out for the younger people. It was the book, Uncle Tom's, Chil uh, Uncle Tom's Children, Uncle Tom's Cabin, I'm sorry, Uncle Tom's Cabin, that gave the impression that this was someone who was always, you know, um, um, humble and doing everything that was, that, that was supposed to be told to him to do. So understanding that and, in, and telling all of a story to uh, anyone, anyone helps, I think, clear away those cobwebs and say, oh, I see you and mm -hmm. you see me for who we really are. It's interesting. Um, I never questioned that perception of Uncle Tom until we were, until we were discussing that. And um, I believe, um, was it Beecher Stowe? She changed the tide of this title. And, you know, I guess it's the discipline of storytelling that can reclaim certain things. We're back from the break with our guests, Dr. Stephanie Davenport and Giggy Wagner. Let's hone in on the essential components of a good story, presuming the stories need to be good in order to have any kind of impact or power of transcendence. We can't discuss the power of storytelling without agreeing what makes a, good, a great story. What are the components of a great story? I think for me, the greatest stories that I have encountered have been authentic stories. Um, I think, you know, for some reason I'm kind of, um, putting myself in a little pigeonhole here where I'm just thinking of getting in front of an audience and telling a story, but there are so many different ways that stories are tell told. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've kind of focused in my life. Um, when I went to grad school, I was, um, I studied creative nonfiction. And the reason that I did that is because my mother and grandmother were both, um, aspiring writers, I want to say, um, but they both wrote, and that meant a lot to me that they took the time, they wrote poetry, and they reflected on life and their experience, and I thought that was really cool, and that was something I wanted to do, and at the same time, there was something about women and mental health in that, that just, it just kind of came back to me, that I wanted to study um, the whole women are crazy sort of dynamic. Um, I don't know how I got on this with authenticity, um, but, but that's what I was studying in grad school through creative nonfiction. And we talk about authenticity there because when you're writing nonfiction in a, some people would say creative way, it might seem to most people that you could get away from uh, what actually happened. But authenticity means something, I think in a lot of ways it's very personal, but I think also for someone who's receiving the story, you know when someone's being authentic and when they're not. And I tend not to enjoy hearing inauthentic stories. So authenticity to me is one of the things that has to be present if a story is going to be great. I agree. You can tell when someone has no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Stephanie, how about you? Well, I'm glad that you have this wonderful question because that's what I have to do when I am going to tell a story. And as I said, I'll be telling a story about the migration of Negroes from the South, particularly Mississippi, to the west side of Chicago. And there are, you know, the first thing is, 
if you want, and I, and I like what uh, uh, Giddy uh, said about authenticity, that's you always seek that. So you need research. If you don't research all kinds of ways for that, you will not get that. The next thing is who are going to be the characters. You've got to structure the story so you have a beginning that whoo, catches everybody's attention so that you can continue. And then there's going to be tension and the ending, et cetera. But the characters, and I know in the story I'm presenting Saturday, I have at least three voice changes. And, Very nice. Yeah. And then you have to recognize who you are as a storyteller. I told a story about Annie Malone, who is, of course, the one who taught so-called Madam C.J. Walker, all of the things. And she was the first uh, Negro uh, millionaire to create and sell her, 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 pro her hair care products. And when I told it, it was my final presentation for a class that we had about historical characters and no one said anything. And when you're in front of people who you know earn money and they're professional and they don't say a word, you get scared. Oh, sure. And they all said, well, you know what? Every time you tell something or what have you in the assignments, you make a smile, a laugh. We didn't do any of that. And I went, uh-oh. So actually embodying that kind of story also, I think, is important with the authenticity. And then always a lesson in the story. It can be in, embedded. It can be at the end. But it has to be a part of that story as to why all of these things work together, that there is... Uh, a story which we know Aesop came from um, Africa and he he was doing the very thing that they taught in the University of Timbuktu was how to actually teach people and that was to tell a story with a lesson and then you discuss that and related it in that way of what you learned with what was actually there so you went from concrete to abstract abstract to concrete so that lesson in the story has to be there. If not, you're just, you're just, as they say, just jaw jopping, jaw jacking. <laughs> um, so if we could revisit something you said for one moment, I just mm -hmm. want to point out to the Jaguar Nation that that wonderful film that came out in, I believe, 2020, when we were all quarantined about Madam C.J. Walker, portrayed by the lovely Octavia Spencer, um, that was false. There were so many things there that were not authentic. Okay. And so it was not the best ever to be done. I, I do um, keep in contact with her grandniece. There are books like The Friend of Mankind, which is fantastic the Vivian Harsh collection and Woodson's library has all of the diaries and account books that her cousin, who it was employed by her in Chicago, especially has all of what went on. Madam CJ Walker was Sarah Breedlove and Sarah Breedlove worked with Ma uh, uh, Annie Malone, Annie Turnbull Pope Malone, her full name for five years before she moved to New York gave the formula to someone who, a pharmacist who actually analyzed it and said, if this is not yours, it has to be changed. So when we look at the school that's on 43rd and King Drive in Chicago, that is where Annie Malone had her factory, her Poro College, and her, her mansion. And um, when we, when DuSable Museum, when I was director of education development there, uh, educational services rather, we had a whole display on her and we had met some people in Russia and they said they would send things and people came uh, to say, well, I remember her and she had this and she had that. So all of those things were placed together. Um, so, so yes, it was unfortunate that they could have done a little bit more research and been a little bit more authentic. Sure. And I, I brought it up because I knew that there was a Chicago connection and I don't know. It's history that we don't want to lose. Um, no. So now that we know the components of a good story, um, can you guys share examples of stories that you think transcend barriers and maybe a brief explanation of how you think that's accomplished? I, I had to think about this question for a little while, a little while um, because I think there are a lot of good examples of stories that transcend um, but I think most holistically and most innocently, 
and most on my mind right now are children's stories. Um, it wasn't too long ago that I was reading these stories to my son. I've, I've always read m very much to my children and I always appreciated, um, I can't remember if it was a Shel Silverstein poem or um, there was a book that my son had about all the different colors there were. And at the end it says, there are so many colors inside of all of us. And I really have always, that's always kind of stayed with me. Um, I um, attended a church where we would have a, a children's story time at the beginning of every service. And some of the books that were shared there were, you know, just so through a child's eyes, we can see how to be almost perfect and be kind to each other. One that I remember is called The Invisible String, and it talks about how when people leave us from this earth, they're still connected to us by an invisible string, but the invisible string really connects all of us, you know, and, and it really speaks to our humanity. Um, I actually, I don't have a list, but I do have one of my favorites. This is one that I read. It's called All the World. And mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. talks about how all the world is a garden and all the world is a city and all the world is all the different things. All the world is old, all the world is new. And the last sentence is all the world is you and me. Um, so I think in children's books and children's literature, there is so much that speaks to, you know, if we could just kind of keep that childlike innocence that we're really all in the same boat. And um, I think that, you know, helps us to look past all of those cultural barriers that are there. Like Stephanie shared with us earlier, you know, <laughs> did your hand bleed? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it was, it, it was empowering for me, but it was also teaching me um, that you look for, as, as they say it in Yoga Namaste, you look for the God spirit in everyone. And I was taught that that's what you had to do. And you were respectful of elders, even though they might have been misguided. Okay. So, you know, holding on to that, you know, then that would let led me to be able to ask her that. But also... I do believe that her being a Girl Scout and learning the values of uh, doing good and, and, and where you are and things of this sort helped her to realize that maybe she needed to look at this a little differently. So I think on both sides, there was something going on. I liked what um, Gigi was saying uh, about um, the, the, the children's stories, because I have a lots of children's stories mm -hmm. but I do know um, with teenagers trying to get them to read etc that in looking at John Lewis has um, a, a, a graphic novels that's the latest thing mm -hmm. and in all of them he talks about the civil rights but he talks it about you being the change and being in good trouble and I was fortunate to have uh, talked with him before when, when he came to Evanston to, to, to sign books. And that was just such a blessing, such a blessing. And there were people from all over coming to read, to get, to listen to what he had to say about being in, do, be in good trouble and do good trouble. Snowy Day was always my favorite because it always had the shape of a little black boy's head, just looked just like my son's. Um, and um, there is one that I used to help some fourth, third graders to read. It was called Being Kind. And so you had ways to do that. And they all, well, I, would, I give projects to kids. I don't care who you are. I'm going to give you a project. <laughs> and they had to come back the next day or the next week. And what, what kinds of things that you do that were kind? And why can you explain that to me? Because I still think that when they get all of this, they need to do something in their heads about it. And I, and I enjoy the fact that our history can be told in stories. 1619 has a, a children's book. Oh, wow. And, um, and I, I'm not going to go get it, but I'm looking at it it's right over there. Mm -hmm. Some about the waters. And the other mm -hmm. one is um, I have a whole listing, or I did used to do a listing of all books that you could, t uh, book titles of all types of 
ways to tell Black history, beginning from kindergarten all the way to high school. And one of the books for the kindergartner explaining about uh, enslavement was a book called Barefoot, where the person escaping, you could see the bare feet, and the person pursuing uh, that person had boots. But how nature, the mosquitoes, and everybody came together to protect the person with the bare foot. So they oh. could, you know, you never saw a face, you just saw these feet. But to be explaining about that, the need for them to go to a better place than where mm -hmm. they were. So children's books, and that is the hardest to write because it has to be concise, it has to be compelling, but it also has to tell a story in very few words and you've got to really be selective. So all of these things come out so that we can share again some of the things and we get to see ourselves in them um and like i said with this with the story uh, with be kind they're getting more diversity in and portraying everyone so everyone feels that i can be kind to you and uh there is uh on cbs morning uh steve and he's got his daughter and his son and they have a whole series of kindness 101 which schools can actually use and i'm thinking yes and I just have to, every time, I just almost, okay, I can't cry, I can't cry, it's too early in the morning, can't cry. <laughs> um, but it touches, it touches your heart on justice, everything, and it's just fantastic. I understand, you know, the, the need to sometimes have to hold back tears, because these, I see these very complex stories being told to children, and I remember a time when there weren't very many uh, varying perspectives, you know? And only the hunters were telling the stories for a very long time. And it's wonderful that representation is something, is a value that society is now upholding. Can you share an example of a story that completely changed your perspective about an issue? And, you know, maybe how it managed to do that? I think because I was born into this family of storytellers and I have an appreciation for stories and have had my entire life an appreciation for stories, I've been able to tap into my own, what do we call that, our internal narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, and I share this story often with students. And I'm not sure how it goes for, you know, tell, I tried to tell it in a, in a public venue and I don't know that it was received well. But I remember I grew up in the South, in Texas, in a fundamentalist church with some very um, stringent beliefs. And one of those beliefs was about homosexuals. And um, at that time, we're going to the way back now. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't talk about homosexuality as openly as we do today. And, you know, uh, even though there were people in my community that were homosexual, we didn't talk about it. So, you know, fast forward to when I'm in college, I started college late. I was around 24, 25 years old, and I still held on to these beliefs that the Bible just didn't tell us that homosexuality was okay. I was not a hater and hate people. Uh, so I accepted homosexuality. And we were in, I was in an intro to education class and we were having a discussion and somehow it got on to homosexuality. And I was very, uh, I'm always very passionate about my beliefs. And I said, you know, and it was the, the argument of if, if you look at the Bible and you accept what the Bible says, then men and men were not meant to be together. But take it further than that because I knew that that argument wasn't going to get me very far. So take it further than that and just look at the anatomy of it. And I was turned around and I think I was talking to the, the student right behind me um, as I was saying this. And so I'm, I'm right. I mean, just, you can't argue with that. The bodies don't go together. Homosexuality can't be right. And I looked at her and I can't even describe how she was looking back at me it was it was not anger it was more disgust i think it's the first time i have ever seen somebody just be disgusted by what i said 
And I was uncomfortable with that look, um, but I was unwilling to admit that I was wrong at that time. I dropped the argument and just agreed that we would disagree on this, but that moment stayed with me. And that experience changed my view in a way that no other experience has. Um, that day I started to see that my view on homosexuality wasn't the only view and it wasn't necessarily the right view. Uh, I'm gonna say it took some time to completely change, but my internal narrative started to change that day. Well, if I don't believe this, then what does that say about me? And, you know, I'm sure there were many stories along the way that helped me to find my own terms to still call myself a Christian because at that time I did and still, you know, decide it's not for me to say if homosexuality is right or wrong. So that's kind of an example of a story that I've kind of told myself over the years and changed my internal dialogue. And that completely changed my perspective on the way I saw something. And as you were telling the story and describing how you felt, um, I, I think that anyone listening has no choice but to try to access that moment on their own timeline even, you know? What about you, Stephanie? Well, you know, I, I really um, thank her for sharing because that's to take the internal and bring it externally is a very brave thing to do. Mine has to do with how I was raised and we were raised with people who felt very strong about being of color. Now, once we were called colored, men, Negro, and then black. Um, so, I, you know, I move <laughs> through the ages like that. And I was always, because of the things that we were um, to do, my parents were both wor uh, work, one, my father worked for the post office, my mother worked for the Internal Revenue Service. And so this brought them into contact with other uh, parents of color. They were judges, dentists, doctors, uh, lawyers, lawyers, I don't know. But they were, they had other things that they did professionally. And they were also concerned about their children going to be comfortable in their own skin wherever they went. So there were things that we had to have as we grew up. Okay, so you had to know how to play tennis. You had to have a, uh, how to cook food. You had to know how to, how to do some sewing. You had to know how to ride a horse. I know, I didn't know what that had to do with anything, but we had to learn how to ride a horse. <laughs> and we had all these things we had to learn to do. So I was always feeling good about that. And I could stand my own self. We used to say, I'm the only raisin in the pudding, and that's okay. <laughs> so growing to in, with that internal things um it was always they were always telling us the stories about we, we went to black businesses we, we went told stories of those of people uh, ralph bunch who you know what mother says to your her daughter hey ralph bunch be like an ambassador to our race but as i grew up and there was more tension it was always well you saw antimes that i had to learn that no i stand in I stand for, I am pro-Black, but I am anti-nothing. Mm -hmm. That has helped tremendously because I have taught everywhere and I, and I am not ashamed to be able to explain something to someone, a young person, older person, middle-aged person, whatever, of any race, what and who I am. So I have friends, you know, I, I, I can, I'm okay with that. But the important thing is, that I've learned to stand in that authenticity. I took a class in, I don't know, it was something, something to do with black literature or what have you. And I knew more about the literature than the professor. And I thought, well, you know, I, I should explain that they're missing some books here. And I said, I'm not getting paid for that. 
So I would just sit very quietly, do my work. But when it came time to talk about some of the things that Blacks did and did not do, and I raised my hand and I said, well, no, my grandfather did such and such. Oh, that couldn't be. And I thought, hmm, we're going to have to be quiet on that and then bring proof because that was not going to float. So I'm really very, very thankful for uh, Isabel Wilkerson, who put together so many uh, stories, interviews, if you will, in story form about the, the migration. And there were two migrations, one early like 1920 and then another one in 1940s, 1950s. The warmth of other suns, because it tells about how we in this United States was able to do and move and do some other things, not just from over here in Africa coming here or from Jamaica or Trinidad or anything else, but right here. The side that Nuts told is the fact that, and this is in this book called Grace Under Silence, Grace of Silence, I'm sorry, I knew, grace I knew the, the Grace silence. of Silence, thank you. You would never find the book. It's Grace of Silence. And in fact, I had trouble finding it at Woodson, knowing it was there. And this young lady got up and I heard her say, I'm going to find that book. She went to Heritage. I'm going to the regular card catalog. And she went straight to the Heritage part and she said, here's your book. And I'm like, oh, yes, Grace of Silence, where we lose a lot because we don't tell that story that's in our family so that we can grow out of those generational fears, generational hidden secrets and all this kind of thing. Um, and so we can learn from that. Um, so that kind of thing. And now I really, I'm looking at um, this one book for kids, uh, children reading things, and it's called Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky because it, takes on this young man who's like in this kind of, you know, 20s, uh, this, this century, 21st century. And he does, you know, he's listened to, you know, Burr Rabbit and all this kind of stuff. And he somehow drops, he goes to South Carolina, his grandparents' house, and he drops in his hole and he meets all of these characters from various um, folk tales and things. And, and it takes on a whole new look. You know, it's, it's, it's like, oh, wow. And I like it because it allows the children to dream and imagine themselves as Octavia Butler, uh, who, who wrote speculative fiction and wrote the parable of the sower, S-O-W-E-R, mm -hmm. that you can put yourself in the future. You can continue mm -hmm. this, this authenticity. You can continue your story. Uh, and I was like, wow. You never want to date an episode of anything, but we are, you know, hot on the heels of yet another national tragedy. And um, collective trauma, it, it, we're on the verge of it being a routine in America. Um, can you share with us some stories that lifted you up or helped you when you were feel when you were grieving or um, feeling powerless? I don't know, you know, in my case, I don't know how helpful these things would be for other people. So I can't say, oh, you should go and read this book because it will really speak to you. But mm -hmm. in my times of grief and sorrow, when, I mean, there was one time in my life, um, a friend of mine pointed out, I was in grad school at the time and she said, you're really going through a lot, <laughs> like major life changes. I had just moved from the South to the Midwest. My mother was diagnosed with um, terminal lung cancer and she was my only surviving parent. My marriage was falling apart. And so I found myself at a time where, right after that, where I was still in grad school and I've always had imposter syndrome. I've never been confident. I'm loving, um, for a lot of reasons listening to Dr. Davenport, but the confidence is the thing I love the most. It's something that, you know, um, I don't know that I'll ever have an abundance of confidence. Um, so, you know, I was in grad school and not feeling, not feeling it really like, okay, I, I shouldn't be here really. And um, my mom passed away, my marriage fell apart and I found myself alone. I had a teenage daughter that I didn't want to, you know, what I wanted to do was go crazy. I wanted to 
I mentioned this in a therapy session the other day. I wanted to go live with the fairies and the elves and the dragons. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to live in this world anymore. You know, just very figuratively, I just wanted to live somewhere else. Um, And the book that saved me, literally saved my life, is, is called The Accidental Buddhist. And the reason is because I spent my life up until that point worrying about all the stupid things I'd said in the past all the dumb decisions I'd made in the past, what I was going to do with my future. I had this this degree coming towards me in, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really have the confidence to say, oh, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to, you know, I know what I'm going to write that book about. I didn't have all of that. So I was constantly worried about then and ahead. And I was never in the moment. So much anxiety just would take over me until one day I picked up this book and started reading. I actually have a couple of quotes that I'd like to share. He talks about, it's written by Denty W. Moore. And I learned about him in grad school and he became a guru to me. And I've actually posted on Facebook, Denty Moore saved my life. And he commented on it. I felt like such, I was so starstruck. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) Denty Moore commented. Um, But he says, we're always rushing, always thinking of the future of our destination, focusing on what is four hours or 400 miles or four years ahead. And we're constantly missing out on right here, just then, at that moment. And then there was another point. So the the premise of the book is he's doing this experiment. He grew up a Catholic, um, and he had what he called a really hard anger. And he was trying to get rid of that anger. So he did this experiment where he traveled around to different Buddhist retreats around the country. And at one, he was talking about how when we were chopping onions, we should be chopping onions only right there, right then at the chopping board, as if the onions, the knife and our hands were all that existed. Um, The thing that a lot of books, there's another book called Traveling Mercies written by Anne Lamont that really spoke to me because she was a convert to Christianity from Judaism. And she had a very unique way of being a Christian, which I appreciated that included a lot of swearing. Um, And it wasn't a Christianity that I was familiar with. Um, So a lot of books that kind of speak to me are, are centered around religion, which is I think why the accidental Buddhist spoke to me. But at that time in my life where I felt like I had no future, um, it was very, comforting Mm -hmm. for him to give me permission to live in the moment. Mm. That's what you should be doing. And to appreciate, you know, I lived in a little two bedroom apartment that, you know, it was not great or anything. It wasn't terrible, but I just learned to look around and appreciate this is my apartment. I'm paying for this apartment. I'm living in this apartment. It's my apartment and just being there. And I remember that time so often now, you know, the stories that have meant so much to me, I, I shared that, you know, in the past that I've, I grew up watching Oprah and the stories that she would share. And, and those were so important to me because they were always about the underdog or they were always about somebody who was on the other side of trauma or on the other side of hard times. And I just kept waiting to get there. And it was that experience in that book that, that finally helped me realize, you know, it was a couple of years later. I'm like, hey. I'm on the other side. I'm still appreciating the moment. I'm still taking the lessons from that book, but that book got me through it. That story of Denty Moore traveling across Mm -hmm. the country, visiting Buddhist retreats, saved my life in a lot of ways. Again, figuratively, you know, it was, it was Mm -hmm. like, I didn't, I wasn't going to die, but there were many times when I thought I told myself I'm going to die. And then I would kind of about face, you're not. are you breathing? Do your lungs work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and it was kind of that book too. And that living in the moment that, that told me and taught me how to have those conversations with myself. Okay. Jaguar nation. Um, if you are having difficulty with what I believe they now call mindfulness, 
then The Accidental Buddhist might be the book for you. Um, how about you, Stephanie? I kept thinking, you know, why do I collect books? <laughs> Especially when we always had books in the house. My mother always took us to library. But this one book is as old as I am. I'm not telling you how old I am. Uh, is Bright April. And it allows me to collect stories because if I can tell you the story of what's happening to me right now, I can handle things. I can sort things out. If I can't do that and it gets stuck and I've got to find somebody I can tell this to and then I can lay it all out and I can see a thing going through or I can see where there's a lesson here or I can see what direction I should go and not go. All of that. Um, so many times, I mean, I've looked at Max Locato, Howard Thurman, um, just to name a few. But being able to look inside of someone else's story allows me to shed the heaviness of mine and look to see if there's something that I can learn, absorb from what they went through. And it could be people that, you know, I always say I don't have to do anything directly. I can live vicariously. I don't have to be the one, you know, with, what's the man's name, the actor who's in the jet and all this. But I can read about Bessie Coleman. I don't have to be in a running around, stuff like that. So it helps me to do that because um, I was just really thinking. And, and, and I, <laughs> people look at me and they say, okay, I remember being at Crack and Botanos. I was just standing there. And this woman comes up to me and she says, you have to read this book. I was like, okay, all right. And she puts the shack in my hand. I said, like, oh, okay. And then here's my number. And you call me, we're going to discuss it. <laughs> okay. All right. I will do. You got ambushed with the shack. The shack. Okay. And I know I have several copies, but it's in the in the living room. Why do I have several copies? Because I go around handing them out to people. But basically, it's and, and I learned this from listening to to the, the author being um, interviewed by um, somebody on, on WGN TV. I was in the dentist, and I was like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I got to listen to this." Um, but here was, and, and, and it brought to mind what, what uh, Gigi was saying, Dr. Wagner was saying, um, about the fact that here was someone who was raised in the South in a very conservative manner. God is God, and God is God. Okay, you don't go against that. God is God. And you say, oh, okay. And then he gets away from that, goes to college, and he goes, mm, wait a minute. There's something more to this. Uh, there's Job, Job talked to God, so forth and so on. So he writes a story in the shack about this, this um, family, lived in the mountains, went on a vacation in the mountains somewhere, and everything was going fine until they could not find their daughter. Didn't know where she went. So they brought in everybody trying to look her over there, so never did find her, had to leave to go back home. And the wife was a nurse who was always very, very intuitive and very much into um, the scripture, but how it applied to your life. And she's like, we got to keep faith. we got to keep hope. So one day, the husband was at home and he opened up the mailbox and there was a letter for him from God. He's like, yeah, from God. <laughs> yeah, right. So he does read it and he does the instruction and he opens up a whole new world of how to look at things that happen in your life. And even how God looks. Like what? God look what? That's what? And so when people are like, I said, okay, here, here's the shack. <laughs> so I give it to them. And then we can discuss it if they want to or they don't have to, but they never return the book. So that's why I buy other copies. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 
We want to invite you to contact us, comment about this podcast, and ask more questions about storytelling. Drop us a line at communitymedia at govst.edu. Also, please visit the GSU podcast webpage, where you'll find useful takeaways and accessible community resources. Information about Ashe, as well as reading lists, will be featured there. That address is in the podcast description. I want to thank Dr. Stephanie Davenport, president of Ashe, and GSU's own Giggy Wagner, professor of business, writer, and storyteller. For this final segment, let's talk about the impact, the legacy of storytelling. Like, what kinds of things do you want to see endure through the art of storytelling? I'm very much about connecting as humans. And when I went to Homewood Stories, I saw a lot of stories that were told about connections. And that's what I see. Rather than, you know, there's always the theme and people trying to weave in themes and stuff like that. Not that Homewood Stories has one, but I listened to The Moth for a while. And and that's wonderful. But outside of that theme, I really hope that we can, you know, I'm, I'm really into nonfiction stories and personal narratives and that sort of thing. So that's kind of my genre. However, I have found this in fiction stories as well. I just finished the book, The Dutch House, and it definitely mm. had um, some human connection storytelling in there. And I think that's what we need is to connect to each other on a very human level and respect each other as humans, as people who exist, as people who love, as people who hurt. So that's what I hope storytelling continues to do, is to make us kinder, as um, Stephanie pointed out earlier, as Dr. Davenport pointed out earlier, that you know these stories can teach us to be kind and that's what we need. Um, one of my favorite sayings, I think it's a face, a, a, a social media meme was, you know, <laughs> we're all just walking each other home. It's that sentiment that I hope storytelling can carry forward. And Gigi, are, are people from neighboring suburbs welcome to the Homewood Salon? Karen is on Facebook. She has a Facebook page and she uh, will advertise there. She has shows, I believe it's the third Tuesday of every month. Hmm. And anybody is welcome to attend. She's had people from different states now that we're on Zoom. She does a real good job and she'll post who the storytellers are there. Uh, Yeah, definitely. I agree that um, connection for me is probably what what drew me to even with neurodivergence, to keep trying to be a reader. Uh, You know, we talked about, I have attention deficit executive function situations that I've been diagnosed and re-diagnosed with. And as as, uh, Stephanie was in there naming off all of these stories and authors, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember the books I've read. (laughs) I can't remember. I can't even remember stories. Like, I'm like, I wish I could remember one story my dad told, but it's like... (laughs) that executive functioning really messes with your memory too. And, mm-hmm. and the reading, you know, I, I have to admit, um, and for all you Jaguars out there, I did not necessarily read the accidental Buddhist. I downloaded it onto my Apple iPod. <laughs> that was back in the day when we had Apple iPods. And I listened to it. I did buy the book because books are important to me, but um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Listening to the story is, Every bit is important, actually. And Stephanie, what about you? How things happen in this world and what we are supposed to do to behave in this world, that must be carried authentically through oral storytelling. And when we teach the next generation and next generation, next generation, we do something Native Americans talk about obligation. It is not a right. It is obligation to the next generation. I love the symbol of Sankofa. Sankofa is part of the Adinkra signals uh, that you might see in, in Ghana. And it is a bird 
that's looking over its shoulder and it has a egg in its mouth. The looking over the shoulder reminds you that you have to take right now what's been in the past and be able to determine what to do in the future, which is of course the symbol of the egg. So Sankofa has been extremely, extremely important to me because if I don't know what's happened, I don't know how it should resonate in me right now. So I can't help anyone go forth, but it's my obligation to be able to do that and prepare the next generation and the next generation who will continue to do that. And maybe we'll end up like we began, which wasn't a bad thing. You know, it's powerful as you were describing um, what we pass on to the next generation. I was thinking, you know, if my dad had just explained to me why I needed to go to golf lessons or surfing lessons, <laughs> I might have felt differently. Um, one last question for both of you. Uh, many Jaguars are headed out on summer break. What do you recommend that we read this summer? Uh, well, like I said, I, um, I don't know how this appeals to a younger audience, but I just read The Dutch House and found it very enjoyable. Well, I, I'll say I listened to it. Um, and I can definitely, you know, recommend reading um, The Accidental Buddhist because I think that's, especially if you enjoy stories, because it is a story about a man. He was a professor who was just kind of, at a stopping point, I think, in his spiritual life and decided he needed to look at some other things. And um, it's a really interesting um, kind of comparison there and of um, Christianity and Buddhism. And so, you know, when I was reading it, I was learning some new things, not only about what the Buddhist philosophy is about, but also about my own upbringing in Christianity and a different kind of take on that. So a lot to learn there. Go to that library okay. <laughs> and, and, and look to see what they, they ask you. They say, okay, we recommend this for this month, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, but if that fails, then I want you to look for the fire this time. Now we all are aware about the fire next time from James Baldwin, mm -hmm. and he had essays about race, etc. When we scratch this problem we have right now, we'll find race underneath. Right. Race and sex has turned America upside down. Apparently, other countries can deal with it, but we just don't, mm, race and sex, race and sex. That's a book about that, but I won't, that's not my point. <laughs> so this is by Jasmine, J-E-S-M-Y-N Ward. And it's talked about a new generation speaks about race. Several quick little essays in here, and they're great. One part one is about legacy. And the other one is, the second part is reckoning. And in there it says, the art of storytelling. It's D-A, duh. Mm -hmm. And then um, jubilee. And in there, there's a uh, uh, this Hispanic, a Haitian who I know, Edrich. Hi, Edrich. <laughs> and Natasha Theodore, and she was the Native. Amer she was the Native American. Was she Native American? No, there is a Native American, but she was the um, poet laureate at one time. And I, yeah, I got to meet her too. Yeah, that was really cool. But anyway, <laughs> that book has has different ways of looking at race from different points of views, things you didn't think they should be there, they, they are there, etc. They're short so that you can like, okay, I don't have much time. Oh, that's enough. Okay. So it's not a whole book because I know when sometimes I just, I'm reading Take My Hand, which is historical fiction. I like historical fiction. Mm -hmm. And um, I was reading that and I was reading uh, Black Cake. And yes, I read two or three things a week, I know. Uh, but Black Cake, I had to keep going back and say, oh yeah, that's so-and-so, so-and-so. So I understand that. So this is summertime. So just take a little bit of collection of essays with you. Yes. Jaguars, mm -hmm. this is your time to be the change. Use your summer like that. 
Think of what you can do just right around you. Doesn't have to be all the way over here, or all the way there, but think of something that would that you could be the change for just right there. Maybe somebody needs groceries taken to them because they can't get out, whatever, but enjoy your time. Remember that every day you get up and go forward, there's a blessing. So enjoy the blessings of your day, Jaguars. Sounds good to me. And we will have these books listed on the podcast website. Um, Stephanie Davenport, Dr. Stephanie Davenport, and Kiki Wegner, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so but much for having us. I mean this when I say I'd like to invite you back because we covered only a fraction of what we could have discussed about storytelling today. So I ain't coming back while I do. Okay. Invite us to be a whip come. Won't we, Kiki? We will. I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> Perfect. We will talk to you soon then. This podcast is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences in partnership with the College of Health and Human Services at Governor State University. I'm Rhonda Jackson, and I've been your host and executive producer today. Our student research assistant is Neha Abdesalam. Our senior consulting journalist is Randall Wiseman. Our music is by Charles Dumaser, who's professionally known as CSIC. Special thanks to Digital Learning and Media Design for sponsoring the following production expertise. Our producer today was Uriah Berryhill. Our director was Daniel Castillo-Aranda. Our editor was Tyan Simmons. And our graphics were by Amanda Martinez.